Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The one and two seeds from both conferences progress as eight becomes four. We'll be looking back at the playoff weekend. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. We'll be looking back on some of the key talking points from the games and be giving out our usual Scottish slanted awards. Our guest this week with a particular eye on the Patriots will be joined by ESPN commentator Mark Donaldson to look back at some of the things that are happening in New England. It's then on to the next round as the top four teams battle it out for a place at Super Bowl 53. We're going to be completely neutral throughout. Who dat? Go Saints. We'll round things <laughs> off with some of the news items which have caught our attention this week. So we'll kick off then episode 36 by looking back at the first of the games that took place last weekend. And the Indianapolis Colts went into the snowdome, what was the Kansas City Chiefs, and ultimately froze it on the night. The Chiefs coming away with a 31-13 victory. They progressed quite easily. Paul, it was a disappointing start from what we had sort of highlighted as being perhaps an exciting game where we were questioning that the Colts could well come away with a victory. The Saints aside, this was the game that I wanted to see because I thought the Colts had a, a realistic chance of what would have been an upset. I think that's fair to say, but Kansas City 14-0 up um, at the end of the first quarter. I mean, they just cruised their way through this one. I don't think at any point was it a particularly close game. I mean, if you look at the first quarter for the Colts, punt, Chiefs touchdown, Colts punt, Chiefs touchdown, Colts punt, Chiefs field goal, punt. Blocked punt, touchdown. It just didn't work. And then, of course, Vinatieri missed a field goal. Um, it was just a horrible first half from the Colts. It just didn't work. Was it the cold? Was it the fact that the step up to play Kansas City was just too much for them? So, it, I mean, fascinating stat that the Chiefs had scored 24 points before the Colts had even got their first first down of the game. I mean, that just says everything. Um, we expected or I expected, certainly, that the Colts' defence might put um, Mahomes under a little bit of pressure. And I thought Andrew Luck would have a bit of a field day against the Kansas City Chiefs' defence. And actually, it was the complete opposite. You know, the the Kansas City Chiefs' defence has been highlighted as a bit of a negative in them. It's a liability. Now, one game does not change that. They had a great game. It's still a liability, that defence. We know it's not as good as others. But that, and we'll touch on this probably a lot more when we're talking about the previews for the championship games, that can be said of a lot of the teams that have progressed. They are offence heavy and Mahomes didn't even, for me, really need to get out of second gear. There was a brief moment where he went down and he maybe looked injured and I thought, oh, hang on a minute here. But no, even that, he shrugged it off, no problem at all um, and came back and, you know, they were brilliant. They really were brilliant. Um, they didn't have to score that many points. 31 was more than enough. Um, nothing scored in the third quarter as the game really kind of got a bit bogged down. Uh, and the, the Chiefs did more than enough to just see it out. Yeah, it's the kind of game that, you know, there's another game coming up so you would go away, uh, make yourself something to eat, get the kettle on because there was really nothing happening. From a broadcaster's point of view, it's a nightmare of a game because it's killed so early and you've then just got to find something to keep talking about your holiday plans, uh, what might happen, you know, um, with the government shutdown, you name it. It was just, it was a horrible, horrible game. And I think that's what deflates you. It it shouldn't reflect badly on the Colts season. The Colts have had a marvellous season. And I thought it was a lovely touch. Frank Wright has written to all the Colts fans via social media with a really lovely letter thanking them for the way that they, they stayed with the team and they never lost faith. The team didn't lose faith in itself. Really nice letter if you've not seen it, it's well worth a look on social media so they consider their season a success I don't think they went into this particular game thinking they wouldn't win it but I think once they went down I just got the feeling that they knew they weren't going to come back yeah and it's it's almost the the Chiefs did to the Colts what the Colts did to the Texans what they did was they stopped them early in the game and they scored points and that ultimately meant they were always on fight back and it was a little bit of a theme across a couple of the games, certainly the two AFC games. We'll come on to the New England one later. Um, but interesting to see as well, you know, with the situation with Kareem Hunt and people were questioning, oh, this might be the, the problem um, that the, the, the Chiefs are going to have, the run game. What are they going to do with the run game? Well, if anything, they've got better. And I think that the, the commentary team kept highlighting this. They've actually had a yard more per game since Hunt went away. And Damian Williams, 129 yards and a touchdown. I think that's the first player that the Colts have allowed to go over 100 yards in a single game this season. 
all four touchdowns came from the run game. You know, Pat Mahomes didn't throw a single touchdown on the day. He scored one himself, as did Tyreek Hill, which was a brilliant run as well, uh, and Dara Williams. The whole game for me, and it comes back to something that you said earlier on, though, was it the cold? The the defence and the offence, they looked cold. They looked like they couldn't get grip. They, they, were, they were a second slow off the start, and with the pace of that Chiefs team, they absolutely decimated them. Um, but you look through the cold schedule as well, and that's the first game off any kind of low temperature they've had to play. You know, the you look back through it, they had to go to New York in October. Well, I've been to New York in October and it was 22 degrees. You know, yeah. it's not a problem. Completely different going into a snowy Kansas City. Arrowhead Stadium, loud, noisy. And the players just, they were all over the place. They were really, really it was a huge disappointment. And this was the most disappointing game of the lot for me. Oh, absolutely, I think you, you've got to look at it you know, The equipment managers, it's hard for them You're trying to get the players to the right cleats You're trying to take the right equipment to play in the cold I think the, the Colts have learned an awful lot from this all the way around Definitely um, uh, You know, it's been uh, The other player that gets a little bit of a mention is Travis Kelsey You know, 108 yards on the day um, He was vital at getting important first downs for his team over and over again for the Colts, you got to go away and have a think about what you need to do. There's definitely skill there. Andrew Luck being back is great. You know, I think on offense, though, other than T.Y. Hilton, they've not really got an awful lot. Dontrell Inman chipped in with a couple of really impressive catches, so maybe he's one for next season. Eric Ebron looked a little bit more like the Detroit Lions version of Eric Ebron, I thought. Little things like he didn't just quite make it to the line for the first down. He dropped a couple of passes early on. Um, he didn't look as up for the game as he had done during the season. And I think that was an important factor in this as well. you got to credit the Chiefs' uh, defence, though. How many Andrew Luck passes were tipped? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was 19-36 on the day. Uh, only one intercepted, but the number of tipped passes was quite incredible. But if you're the coach, I think I've said it, if you're the coach, you're happy enough with how your season's gone. Yeah. Andrew Luck's come all the way through, and Andrew Luck is back. You've spent a lot of money on the line, so you're protecting him. That now gives you, I think, the opportunity to start to look at the skill positions again. Like you, I think they're a little bit light in the receiving area. They've got potential. But that's really what they've got. I mean, Eric, everyone, who knows? If you're going to get the Colts version, great. If you're going to get the Lions version, you need to replace them. So I think they're actually in a pretty good place come the draft. Yeah, it's, and this is a young team, this Colts team. They've, they've got something really solid to build on. Um, I think that Marlon Mack's come in since he's recovered from injury, being a really good player. Uh, Hines is a good player who's more of a catching back out the out there as well, and that's great for Andrew Luck. This is something they can build on. You know, new head coach, uh, a big change. At, obviously, they're going to change their O-line coach, which felt a little bit of a funny call because it felt like that is the most progress any line has made in the whole of the NFL. But obviously, not Frank Reich's man, so he moves on. He wants to get in his own guy, fine, whatever. Um, and like you say, they've definitely got stuff to build on. You know, Darius Leonard will definitely be in the conversation for one of the best rookies of the year. I don't think he'll be rookie of the year, but, um, you know, what a great season he's had. Uh, I thought Kenny Moore played really well on the day as well, made a couple of really impressive tackles in the open field. Uh, so there's there's lots of positives there. The Colts can look forward and they'll learn from this as well. So our guest is Mark Donaldson, who's joining us live from the States. Mark, good to speak to you again. Mark, just for those people who don't know you, tell us what it is you do out in the States. Uh, football commentator. Um, been here eight years, so just finished a Juventus-Milan um, Coppa Italia, Super Coppa Italia. And unfortunately, I'm sitting here with the presenter of ESPN FC and Craig Burley, and they're going to try and wind me up while I'm doing this, but I refuse to be wound up by two... Um, Imbeciles, people. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen Craig, so pass on my best. Uh, I'm sure he'll do a great job. Uh, Mark, in terms of your love of the NFL, what team do you follow? Dolphins. I've done for probably about 30 years since they were on Channel 4 back in the day, and Marino was, was the guy I followed. So uh, Miami Dolphins, I have a fetish for misery. <laughs> yeah, that I can understand. So was it watching Channel 4 that got you into the NFL? Yeah, Mick Luckhurst, remember him? The, I think he was a former Falcons kicker. Um, he was one of the hosts, Gary Imlach as well. And Yeah, I think over here so many people are surprised that there's such a big following over there um, for, for NFL, but it's, it's massive. 
So I know you obviously you love your soccer and you've played soccer. If you would have had a chance to play uh, NFL football, what position do you think you would have lined up at? Do you know what? I've always fancied being a kicker because I had a pretty, I had a really Scatchell esque shot on me back in the day um, when I could run. So I'd, I would like to have been a kicker. Um, certainly wasn't quick enough to be a receiver. Don't have a big arm on me. Couldn't be a quarterback. So um, I would I would take the glory of the last minute uh, winner or take the the kind of Cody Parkey ouch that hurt um, miss in the last minute. So I quite fancy being a kicker. No, the good old doink doink from Cody Parker. Right, we've had a chat about the game at Arrowhead. We were slightly underwhelmed with that. Therefore, would the game, the Chargers and the Patriots, be better? I'm not sure it was better, Mark, but in your part of the world, because you're in New England, it would have been very well received, the Patriots, on top of the Chargers, 41-28. That's the best I've seen them play for, for quite some time. Obviously, being a Dolphins fan, being in the same division and, and watching them, I know we had that stupidly ridiculous play to beat them down there when we probably didn't deserve to do so, but we got thumped up there. Obviously, being in this part of the world, you know yourself, Paul, having come over to the States quite a lot, during the NFL season, you get your local team on your, your local TV channel. So we get them every single week uh, as well when I'm not watching Red Zone. And I watched that last week and I just I thought the, I thought the run game was excellent. I was expecting more from the, the Chargers D, but they didn't. I mean, it's typical being a fantasy football player and having Sonny Michel all season. And then he goes and does that in the playoffs when it doesn't count for my team. That's just <laughs> typical. But I thought they were excellent and they were well received here as well. One of the things that Cameron and I have talked about on the, the NFL Scotland podcast of late has been how the Patriots are being received because when you've got such a level of success, it's hard to get that success year after year after year. How have the press been in Boston and New England towards this class of Patriots? Very favourable coverage, as you would expect here. I mean, they've, they've had a, a kind of history over the last 10, 15 years, the Brady-Belichick era of success followed by success followed by success and and they do have the local kind of uh, media on board the interesting thing here i mean I'm, I'm speaking to you from from our work at espn we're in bristol connecticut we are literally two hours either way you would get to the patriots stadium or you would get to to the giants and the Jets stadium so this part of connecticut is interesting because there are a lot more giants and jets fans and then the further south you go towards new york state um, but on the whole in, in the kind of boston and, and most of the new england region uh, they have got the Patriots on side, and they're looking forward to this week. And it's, it's an interesting one as well, because they're on the road, and they go in as underdogs against the Chiefs. So, I don't think they'll win, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did. I heard a fascinating stat on this one, that this is the first game in 69 where the Patriots are going in with Tom Brady starting, where they haven't been the favourites. So, they've been yeah. the statistical favourites for 69 games in a row, this is the first time that won't be the case, which I thought was quite something. Um, you know, over the years, they've come up against some pretty tough sides. Um, but, you know, and it, Tom Brady's obviously come out this week after the game and talked a little bit about the fact that nobody gives us a chance. Now, we'll probably touch on that a bit later, but you can't ever discount them, even if they're underdogs. This is an interesting one. It's a really good stat as well, but let's kind of delve deeper into that and, and look at the, the, the division that they're in as well, and I know it well, being a Dolphins fan, the <laughs> AFC East, they're not guaranteed six out of six against the Jets, the Bills, and the uh, and the Dolphins, but they usually go at least five and one. Now, that's a hell of a start. You've got ten other games, of which a lot of them are going to be at home. So if you're already five and one, then it's no surprise that they've, they've finished with a winning record um, in so many consecutive seasons. But that's given them home field advantage. And there's very few teams that are favourites against the Patriots at Foxborough. So it is a good start, but it, it, it does kind of not really tell you the full story. And because they didn't get home field advantage this season and they're on the travels, they do go in as the underdogs. Do you know what? I'm sure, I think Belichick might, might like this. Might, because the expectation is that, well, it's going to be a Chiefs-Rams or a Chiefs-Saints Super Bowl. And not many people outside of New England have given the Patriots much of a chance. I think that plays into the hands of Belichick and Brady. Mark, I mean, Bill Belichick is famously quite grumpy with the media and quite hard to <laughs> deal he? with. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, that's the, the picture we get here in Scotland. How is he perceived locally? Is, it, is there a softening of the tone or is he just Bill Belichick is not going to change? It's not going to change. Um, there's a really good 30 for 30 by ESPN, the two Bills with... Uh, 
with his former Giants coach as well. And, and you see maybe a little bit of a different side as well. And his, his one of his daughters um, is, is in the game as well. And you see a different side of him when he's talking about her. If you follow Instagram, you follow Gronk or Gronk's girlfriend, Camille Kostek. She's friends with Belichick's wife, and they go to the, all the games together and whatever. And the, the wife's lovely. And, and you see some photos on Instagram of, of um, Belichick's wife posting pictures of her and Bill, and, and he's got smiles on his face. It's just, it's just the way he is. And, I mean, he, he just gets annoyed at some of the stupid questions that gets asked. We've had Strachan to deal with over the years, Paul and I both, <laughs> yes. both know what he was like. Doesn't matter where you are. There's always going to be some stupid questions thrown in at press conferences, and, and over here is no different. It's interesting because I, there was one game earlier in the season. He almost stood at the podium, Mark, and dared people to ask him a question. Yeah, yeah, and that—that's the way he is. I mean, you, you think about your question. You could—I've seen the times where going to go and see Strachan at Celtic or, or Scotland, and and you're up the night before, you're prepping questions, and they're just—you're destroyed. Um, with with your first question because he, he comes up with a smart arse answer but that that's the way Strachan was for Belichick you've got to ask the most open question possible you ask a closed question you get one answer yes, no, whatever but even if you ask an open question you can still find a way to turn it around and give you a two or three word answer depends what mood he's in as well if it's just before the game if it's the Tuesday or, or whatever um, but the journalists here know that they, they know what he's like and, and they respect him for, for what he's done it's going to be an interesting place up there when uh, when he moves on. It certainly is because I mean the whole dynamic will change, and they they talk about you know you've got a great quarterback. Could Belichick do it with another quarterback? To me, I think that that's an easy answer. Yes, he can because his game planning is so good. One of the players you, you referenced there, the sort of celebrity side, which I, I don't think you know Bill likes so much on that point. <laughs> it is Gronk. Now mm-hmm. Gronk hasn't caught a lot of balls this year. But he was really influential in the last game, wasn't he? He, he, he was as a blocker. Uh, and that's something we've, we've seen from time to time, but not as often. Now, Gronk's falling apart. He, his body's in bits. He's had all these operations and whatever. And it's, it's, it's amazing he's still out there and still playing. We don't know if he's going to be playing next season because a lot of the, obviously, uh, Twitter accounts I follow are fantasy football because I'm, I'm big into that. And it's like, where, where do we put him right now as far as, tight ends for next season and he's, he's middle of the road because you know you're not going to get 16 games from him and, and he might decide you know what I've, I've had enough because there was some speculation prior to this season he might move on I don't think that'll be the case I think when he retires he'll retire with the Patriots because there's no point in, in moving elsewhere it's just going to be interesting to see what, what happens with the Patriots over the next few years because my team the Dolphins look like they're going to get the, the Patriots D-line uh, Guy is their new coach. Um, there's still speculation about Josh McDaniels. He came close to getting the Colts job. Um, obviously, didn't take that. Uh, is he going to stay? Was he given the promise if he stayed with New England and turned down the Colts that he would be the replacement for Belichick? So there's a lot of of kind of ifs and buts. And one of the big ones, of course, is will Gronk play next year? The, the other thing it wouldn't surprise me if Gronk suddenly in this game became a real force. In the passing game, because yeah. I presume, they were, you know, if you're KC and Andy Reid, you're now having to prep a game plan that involves Gronk doing a lot of blocking. It yes. would be very Belichickian, I think, if we can use that <laughs> word, uh, to, to just completely <laughs> flip his role. Wouldn't it just? Wouldn't it just? If you play the Daily Fantasy, whether it's DraftKings or, or FanDuel or anything like FanDuel, listen to me, FanDuel, sorry, I'm from <laughs> Hey, thank you. Too long. Yeah, I've been over here too long with my tuna and the sidewalks and everything. <laughs> uh, if you play them, I, I read an article last week. It's like, going to be low-owned. He, he might be worth a, a short gronk last week, and ultimately it was a bust. But Belichick's the type of coach where you might not see Chris Hogan for ages and then, boom, catches a couple of passes. We know you're going to see a lot of Edelman. Um, James White last week, I think he got like 15 catches or 15 receptions, which was a a record, they just spread it around so well and they keep the opposition guessing. So it could it could be anybody that they throw it to and it would not surprise me if Gronk was a part of that. I've got two final things, Mark, before we let you go. One is I want a prediction for the game and two, before you make that, how did your fantasy season go? I played Dynasty for the first time and reached the final. So I was quite pleased at that because I had uh, I picked Todd Gurley first with pick number one I picked Travis Kelsey third round and I got Patrick Mahomes 
in a late round. So <laughs> I'm kind of I'm flying in that one. And the other two was was a bust. How about you? Uh, I did okay. I, I had brilliant regular seasons in both the leagues that I play in, and I fell at the first hurdle in both my playoffs because my team fell apart. I lost Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, yep. Philip Rivers decided he wasn't going to play any more particularly well. I think in my championship game, I got 2.34 points out of Philip Rivers. So if you're doing that out of your quarterback, you're not going to win, that's for sure. It's funny because a lot of players that had Todd Gurley in the lineup reached the playoffs, in fact, most, but not many of them won it because Gurley was obviously hurt in, in week 16 um, and, and wasn't involved. So, I mean, it's, it, it's weird, but the whole the whole dynasty um, fantasy league is interesting for me in picking up players that you think are going to be good for the next two or three years and you're, you're not looking at guys like, I mean, for example, I've got Larry Fitzgerald. What do I do with him? Yeah. Can I play another year or, or not? So just a different dimension to the Dynasty Football League, but it's, it's good. It'd be unfair if I didn't ask Cameron just to, to let our listeners know. How did you get on in your leagues, Cameron? Nah, not particularly well. I, although I made it one final, I play in a Dynasty League as well, but went out pretty early in that. Levian Bell, one of my big players, Leonard Fournette, oh. my other running back, so uh, it was a hard one to overcome this season. Although I've got Michael, Tona, Michael Thomas and Keenan Allen, so the future's bright when it comes to Dynasty. Um, in a standard redraft, made it to a final, lost by seven points, but I was up against a guy that had Christian McCaffrey um, and Chubb and Kelsey and Mahomes and pretty much everybody that was scoring points every week. So that was a tough task. Um, I kept it closer than I thought I might have. So it was respectable. That's all you can ask for, really, isn't it? Well, I'm going to leave this on one little note, uh, something that's just popped up while we've been chatting. Here's a statistic for you. And obviously people, you're saying there, Mark, about people writing off maybe the, the Patriots at the moment because they're going to Kansas City, who are the number one. They're going as going in as the underdog. Do you know that Tom Brady has got less road playoff victories than Mark Sanchez? Wow. But who would you rather be in later life? <laughs> oh yeah, there's no contest. Absolutely no contest at all. But four road victories Mark Sanchez has had. On the road, the Patriots under Brady are three and four. Paul, Paul will know this well, isn't it? Amazing what we can do with stats. You can twist them any which way and make anything sound good or bad, depending on stats. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things they teach you in football commentator school. You've got to be able to to twist stats whichever way you possibly can. I'm going to leave you out with with a really bizarre statistic based on the number of songs sung by '70s heartthrob David Soul. Uh, he sang about going to Kansas City. I think he'll make the difference, and if. If David Soul can sing about Kansas City, shouldn't you be singing about New England for us? No, no. <laughs> I, I, I prefer the David Soul of the, the 1990 Grand Slam winning team. I'm going to go the Chiefs win this one 41-38 this weekend. And, and by the way... Um, if you told me there was a football commentary school, I might have attended it. <laughs> I didn't say I got in. <laughs> Mark, it's been brilliant to speak to you. Will you come back in the close season and talk a little bit about fantasy and dynasty? Because we're going to do a couple of pods on that. Anytime. And if you need any anybody to join you in a, a fantasy league next season, keep me in mind if you wouldn't mind, boys. Brilliant. Fantastic, Mark. Thanks for joining us, mate. So that's the AFC games onto the NFC. And uh, Paul, I'm still going to make you wait before we can touch on your Saints because we start, first of all, with the LA Rams 30 to 22 victory over the Dallas Cowboys. Um, and actually, I recorded this one, watched it the following morning because I had to get up at 7 o'clock um, to, to do some work. And I actually fell asleep at points during this game. <laughs> so I don't know if that says more than anything else. It felt like the Rams coasted this, although the scoreline was a bit closer than some of the other ones. Yeah, I think the scoreline certainly is wrong here from the point of view. It, it looks like an eight-point game. It looks close. It, it wasn't. I mean, yes, I mean, credit to the Cowboys. They got the lead. They got a touchdown. Yeah. But then their next four possessions were punt. You know, having gone with four plays, punt with three plays, punt with nine plays, they got a little bit further and then punt with three plays. You're not going to get very far. Um, they tried, you know, to, to go for it at the, the end of the third quarter. It didn't work for them. It just always seemed to me that the Rams were in control of this one. Very important and very good second quarter, 17 unanswered points. And they were just ready to put the foot down at any point that Dallas got close to them. 
And, I mean, they basically ran the Cowboys into the ground. Now, this is something that we've been told that the Cowboys were pretty good against. And actually, when the Saints went out to Dallas, it was the one thing they couldn't get going. You know, the run game, Kamara and Ingram just couldn't get anything. That Dallas defense was solid. But look at C.J. Anderson, 123 yards and two touchdowns. And Todd Gurley, 115 yards. So that's 238 yards just to two running backs, you know, and three touchdowns. The... The way that McVeigh's got them set up and the way that he just goes for it, he's got a killer instinct and it's working for him, even in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just a very well-coached team. They're very well-organised in how they've gone about things. Um, C.G. Anderson does well. You know, not the greatest run in the world, but the system works for them. I thought Goff handled it pretty well. I say, really a late touchdown by Dallas you know, put a gloss on this one. But Cameron, I think there's actually a couple of storylines that come out of this. Um, and I know we're going to talk about the Rams in the championship game. So let's talk a little bit about the Cowboys. Jerry Jones has come out this week and said that Jason Garrett, if he was to go on the open market, would be in high demand. And he would get offers from at least five teams. I find that a really interesting statement because one, it's unprompted. And two, what are you trying to prove? There's not five teams looking for a head coach anymore. Um, I, I don't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's an odd one. Why would you come out and say it? We've got a great guy here, maybe. But uh, there's been so many questions asked of him over the years. And last year was a particularly bad year for them. They've bounced back this year fine. They made a good trade and they went and got Amari Cooper. He was influential in turning that Dallas season around for me. He really was. Um, and, you know, it's... Yeah, you're right. I don't know what he's trying to prove with that. But then Jerry Jones, why does he ever say anything? Well, the other thing that he then went on to say was, in some sort of cryptic language, was that, you know, you can never tell with coaches and situations change and people become available, which was his overture towards Sean Payton. And, and he, said he, would, he would take Sean Payton over Jason Garrett in a heartbeat, which I think, I mean, Jason Garrett, I mean, he's won his division three of the last five years. Now, that, that's pretty impressive in what is usually a topsy-turvy division. But he was basically saying, you know, my girlfriend's okay, but if somebody better looking comes along, you know, she's getting dumped. It's, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. And you're thinking, that's really unfair. Whether, whether And it's interesting, we've got Cowboys fans who listen to this podcast. Whether they, you like Jason Garrett or not, whether you think he's done a great job or not, to take the division in three or five years, I thought he came over really well um, when we've seen him on All or Nothing as a decent bloke who tries to teach teach well, you know, has values and, and is so involved in the Cowboys, he's been a quarterback there I just thought it was it was naughty for me, and if I was Jason Garrett you can't say anything because it's Jerry World, but you'd be a little bit hacked off I think Yeah, and I think that that's it, uh, he will be hacked off, but I guess it depends on maybe Jerry knows that uh, Jason will respond really positively to that and kind of a prove me wrong sort of thing, so He's possibly got an eye already on the next season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've, we always seem to be talking about the Dallas Cowboys and things that Jerry Jones has said or things that he's doing and things like, um, you know, interfering comments. And you do wonder how much that is a distraction or whether or not that's the sort of thing that his team rally to. But, yes, you're right, it's an odd one. It's an interesting one because I think Jerry Jones, the only thing we probably need to ask him is what is his stance on vegan sausage rolls? Because that's probably (laughs) the only thing he didn't touch upon here. (laughs) Brilliant. Um, So, you know, for the Cowboys though, we've touched on that there, they did win the division. Everyone, I think, came into this expecting the Eagles to, to, to repeat. Now, they've obviously had injuries and the Cowboys took advantage of that. Um, they managed to get themselves into the postseason. Uh, they beat the Seahawks at home, which was a good uh, a good victory for them. And the first postseason victory for the Cowboys in a long time. Um, they've got that off their back, uh, and they they've lost to a team who are exceptional. And Sean McVay isn't, and he's proven this. Not he's not your typical coach. He, you know, when they went for it early doors on fourth and one, um, I think that that just set the tone for the whole game. That really just mustered up the whole thing. Do you know what? We are not going to settle back here. We're not just going to punt you the ball. I think the, the Cowboys thought, do you know what? Yeah, this ball's coming back to us. Didn't happen. <laughs> Went for it. Um, and that's systematic of the new style modern NFL coach. The only person that's slightly different to that is Sean Payton, who's always been a little bit like that. 
Uh, and we'll probably touch on that in the Saints game as well, because they also did very similar things. But um, the Cowboys can take a lot away from this. Uh, a frustrating game where they weren't really in it. The scoreline says otherwise, but they weren't, as we touched on. Uh, but they can move on from this into next season. They can start planning, filling the gaps. There's a lot of exciting young players there as well. We touched on it with the Colts. Uh, you know, this is a... I feel like this is a Dallas Cowboys team that's still on the build. There's a lot of coaches who are sitting at home at the moment, granted in better surroundings than we're sitting in, that didn't come out with a playoff win yeah. this year. You know, Jason Garrett could go to the fridge, get a beer, and thought, I delivered a playoff win. And that was probably what was expected of them, you know, because there's always high expectations. So you've delivered a playoff win, you've then gone on the road to the number one seed and you've not beaten them. There's no shame in that. So, uh, sorry, baggy bar, the number two seed, there's no shame in that. So I don't see there being a problem. I think the Cowboys would treat it as a successful season. And I I also don't get the hostility to Jason Garrett because I've watched some American shows and people have poo-pooed this five job offers. Yeah, there might not be five job offers, but surely Jason Garrett would have got the gig in Arizona. Yes. You know, for example, because, or, or even arguably could get a gig in, in Miami simply because he's got the experience of a head coach. He's handled the staff. You know, he's one playoff game. So there might not be that sort of Greg Williams, seven job offers, eight job offers, um, but I'm sure somebody would have had a look at him. Yeah, I, I wonder as well a little bit with them whether it's, and again, it comes back to the Jerry Jones thing because Jerry's so front and centre. That actually it feels sometimes that it's Jerry's team. And I wonder whether he suffers slightly because of that, whether people feel he's a bit of a puppet. Now, actually, like you say, when you see him on things like Hard Knocks and things like that, he does come across really well. So it's perhaps a perception thing uh, that's possibly part of the reason that people just kind of feel like he's maybe a bit weak. Um, Although, you know, he has coached this team to be decent. You know, they've never had a terrible season but they've also got massive expectations in Dallas and this is the sort of thing that I think whoever takes over from Bill Belichick in New England is going to have some of this because New England will at some point return to a team that's eight and eight you know um six and nines six and nines that's not going to happen is it uh terrible yes, match it could be six nine and one <laughs> it could be six nine and one yes good shout um but you know that they're going to go back to that and that head coach is going to have the exact same thing where even though they might be doing quite well with the, the players and the setup that they've got because they've previously had such success they expect more and i think that's something that you suffer a lot in uh, across the board you know you bring it back to even football in our country uh, soccer and you see it all over the place even well, Claudio Ranieri getting sacked at Leicester and things like that you know once people have tasted victory they think of nothing else and yeah. whatever you deliver even if you've not got the pieces in place to be able to deliver more than you possibly can it's never going to be enough and unless you can satisfy that then you're going to have a problem and people are going to turn on you and think lowly of you. So at the same time, I think there's a lot of people who still have a huge amount of contempt for the Dallas Cowboys in general. So any opportunity to have a pop, they're going to take it. Uh, you know, and again, you see that off a lot of the successful teams. And again, the Patriots will suffer from that. Uh, so it's definitely an interesting one. But you're right, you know, Arizona, uh, Tampa, anywhere like that he he would have been in demand absolutely would have been in demand so you're right it's not done I'm going to say that I was just going to say that (laughs) (laughs) do you know what I'm going to let you bridge that let's bridge that into the game where I'm just going to sit back here and let you do the talking the Saints the Saints come back uh, from 14-0 down to win against the Philadelphia Eagles a very different game to the one that we saw in the Superdome when we were over there in November um also, delighted for me, I put money on the Eagles to win the game just because I thought maybe they had a sneaky chance and I got an early cash out because they were 14 points ahead and then they lost. So I got my money and that didn't even work out. So happy with these. Now that is really, really impressive. <laughs> what Was I worried at 14-0 Philadelphia? A little. But to me, and I think if if guys and, and girls who are listening to this know the NFL, if you're going to be 14-0 down, do it in the first quarter. If you're 14-0 down in the third quarter, that's a different tale. But we've seen enough teams come back from being 14-0 down. So I wasn't overly concerned. I did start to get a little bit concerned just before the interception was thrown at the end of the first quarter. And that, 
that just gave the Saints a lot of momentum. Nick falls through an interception. It's going to happen. Um, I thought he was right to try and you know go for it because you're almost going for the kill at that point. 21-0 is hard to come back from. Um, start the second quarter, New Orleans managed to drive beautifully after the interception. Then you get an Eagles punt. You get another Eagles punt. And the, you know, the Saints were able to tag on the field goal. So it was a really good half of football because if you're a neutral fan watching it, it's live for the second half, and the team who aren't expected to win is ahead, you know, 14-10. But what about game management from the Saints in the second half? I thought, you know, the Eagles went punt, 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 interception. You know, and they didn't have the ball a lot, Cameron. That's the other thing. They had the ball four times in the second half. Yeah, and it was game management. It was it was worked perfectly and you know that's where Sean Payton for me and when we were talking about that earlier on about Sean McVay um, Payton for me is exactly that mould but did it before I think that he's creative he he works out a strategy and he gets his team to do exactly what they need to do I actually think you hit the nail on the head there I think that the um, the interception the first interception was probably the most important turning point of the game I think had the Eagles gone on and down, scored, made that 21-0, that's a really tough game to get back into. Would I still believe that Drew Brees could do it? Yes, I can. Of course I would, because he's more than capable of that. And he's got the weapons there to do that. But it would have been squeaky bum time in a big way. So, you know, I think that it's um, a, a huge play. Uh, and Lattimore's, you know, done a huge thing. As much as the offense and the game management's done well, on defense, the Saints' defense this year has been brilliant. You know, if you think about this time last year, it was around this time that, you know, uh, the Minnesota Miracle or whatever we want to call it is. Um, and that was a defensive play, a missed opportunity, ultimately, that cost you the game against the Vikings. Well, this time it's the defense that have come up at the end when the Eagles are driving down the field and there's the interception at game over and on you progress. I must admit, I was worried. I mean, if you look at it, that, the drive that did it for me was the Eagles came out punted after three plays. The Saints then had 18 plays, starting at their own eight, took 11 and a half minutes off the clock to take the lead with a touchdown to Thomas. And that kind of made me an awful lot more relaxed. But that missed field goal. Now, the problem with missing the field goal was you were going to hand good field position uh, in the fourth quarter with, you know, five, five and a half minutes, something like that left. So the concern was going to be that, you know, Oh, sorry, it would have been a couple of minutes left. The, the the problem for me would have been that you had to go for the field goal because you've got one of the best kickers in the league. But should he miss it, you were presenting Philadelphia and the Super Bowl MVP with the chance to march down the other end and possibly leave very, very little time on the clock for a comeback. So I, I was particularly worried at that point. The interception, Lattimore, people either love him or hate him. You know, it's, it's a very strange... Thing with, with Lattimore, some people like him, some people don't. But when you come up with a big play like that to win a game, you know, the level of love is going to increase. Yes, indeed it is. Um, and only more so because now they get to host the Rams, who we know have already come in and not done particularly well. So, um, you know, it's it's a big opportunity to for the Saints to get to the Super Bowl. Um, do you think, and here's the one thing, if I'm a Saints fan as well, we're, we're sort of creeping a little bit into a preview uh, for the, the championship games. But the one thing that perhaps Drew Brees and the Saints have had out of their game that the other teams haven't is adversity. You know, obviously all these number one and two seed teams have come in out of bye weeks um, where maybe they've even towards the end of the season they're winding down. And the Chiefs, the Patriots, and to an extent the Rams have had a fairly easy go of it. Maybe less so the Rams, but, you know, like you say, the, the Cowboys came back at the end. They, they felt in control. Breeze, Peyton, and the Saints had to battle that game. Had to battle back from 14 points down. They then didn't concede anymore, made, you know, two big interceptions, and came back and won it. That's the kind of character that you need in the postseason to, if you've got any chance to go on and win it. And I wonder whether that might be the one silver lining from this game being a bit closer and a bit edgier than everything else that went before it. I mean, the Saints, I think that's it's either six or seven come from behind wins this season. Yeah. And that's 
and that's really impressive. That's what Drew Brees does. He gives you that chance to come from behind. Yes, they came from behind. They got the lead in the third quarter, but it was another 14-point uh, problem for them. But how about this for a stat? The Saints' defence has allowed just five points in the fourth quarter of the last six games combined. One of those weeks weren't even playing the starters. That was week 17 against the Carolina. The other two points were the pick six on the two-point conversion fail. So the actual, are the real defence of the Saints have given up zero points over yeah. that time. They have stepped up when it mattered. You marry that to the nous and cleverness of Drew Brees, it is a perfect mix. We can also talk about the fact we have been in the Superdome for a regular season game that was fairly one-sided in the end, and the noise was outstanding. Yeah. Imagine what the noise is going to be like when the Rams come to town on Sunday. And do you know what? I think another reason that that pick by Lattimore in the first quarter was big is I thought the noise had started to come out a little bit. Certainly, It's hard to make it out on TV. It's certainly nowhere near as loud as it is actually being there. But it felt like the crowd were a bit wobbly. And that play brought them right back into it. They're key. They're absolutely key uh, to them being a success in this one. Um, if, they're, if they're going to go on and win it at home against a very good Rams team, they need that home support to do them a favour. Absolutely. And the other thing that I think it has been missed slightly, if you go back to last year and you referenced that Minnesota miracle, if the Saints had this year missed a field goal and Foles goes down to get a touchdown to win the game, that's seen as two failures. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's it, it's a huge play. And it, it's the character, that, and that's what, you know, sort of alluding to the fact it's the character that maybe wasn't quite there last year. And maybe this is a sign that it is. So I think, you know, though it's closer, um, you can have uh, certainly some positives to take from that. Overall, though, the, the games were a bit of a disappointment. You know, I, f I feel like that's kind of been the case for the last two weeks. Um, the wildcard games got into them all excited and, you know, there really wasn't anything overly brilliant. This week, compared to the games last year, you know, you had that 24-29 game between the Saints and the Vikings. You had the close game between the Falcons and the Eagles. Uh, you had that brilliant game between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Steelers. I mean, 45-42, and it was end-to-end. -end. Fine, the Patriots got past the Titans pretty easy. Uh, but it was, yeah, just not a particularly exciting weekend. And at the end of it, though, I'll take all that if we get a couple of crackers this Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I was disappointed with the games. The Saints get any game that your team's playing in is a different one. The other three games... The, the, the Colts Chiefs just lit it down for me and I, always, I honestly thought the Chargers would do an awful lot more against Tom Brady. Tom Brady is Tom Brady but I still thought they'd still give us a little bit more. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you, I'm disappointed. And it, it makes the awards quite interesting in terms of, you know, who's flopped this week? And Well, I mean, the, the biggest flop, oh, actually who is the biggest flop? The, it's, for me, it's got to be the Colts or the Chargers. Uh, yeah. that gets that honking award because they were by far the most disappointing. The Cowboys did enough in the game to get themselves out of that one. Um, but I think that if... I mean, Andrew Luck was so disappointing early on. You know, to, to be 24, 24 points behind before you even get a first down is horrible. That's a really bad performance. They froze. They absolutely froze. The Chargers, on the other hand, we've expected so much more. They were so good on the road. Uh, yes, but they were just a massive disappointment as well. Now they get a slight pass from me, possibly because Melvin Gordon was clearly not fit and not a hundred percent, and they rely on him a lot to get the run game going to free up the space to get, uh, you know, chances for the the wide receivers to make space. But if I really think about it, I'm actually going to give it to the Chargers O line because the amount of times that the Patriots got through and got contact on Rivers. They had him rattled, and he was angry. Now, we see angry Phil Rivers all the time, but they really rattled him because they kept getting through. He would release the ball, but he'd be hit straight after it. It's close enough that it was not going to get called, but it was enough that he was getting annoyed, and you could see him remonstrating with the officials. So, I, And I think that the, the, the Patriots' D is not all that great. So I think it was a total no-show by that Chargers offensive line, and for me, they're going to get my honking award. Well, I think you're going to have to be careful here because the, the Chargers O-line are actually employed by the American government and <laughs> they were on shutdown. 
You could tell. You could tell. I mean, it was just, yeah, it was horrible. I'm not certainly not going to argue with you on that. What about, you know, who'd had their porridge for you? Um, I mean, C.J. Anderson. Absolutely brilliant performance for him. I thought he was exceptional. I think he did everything that he needed to do. Um, for the Patriots, you know, Sonny Michel had a really good game. I thought Edelman had a really good game as well. Uh, and he's back to the player that we know he can be. Just, you know, so many important catches. Uh, a really good performance. But I can't see past CJ Anderson on this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. For a, for a one-off play, I thought Taysom Hill getting the fourth down for the Saints was brilliant. You know, the fake punt. He's just sitting slightly to the back and to the side, and up he came. I thought that was a really nice design play. But, you know, if we're being consistent, yeah, CJ Anderson for me. Uh, most Scottish-like performance for you then? Um, I, again, you, you could argue it's, it's the Colts because you went in with so much hope. You know, they've been built up brilliantly um, and, and, and they failed to deliver. And then to do that Scottish thing of, we've let our fans down, what we'll do is we'll write them a little letter. And I like the letter from Frank Reich, don't get me wrong, but it's almost that, uh, we really gave you hope and it didn't quite work out at the end. So, yeah, I, I love the Colts. I, I love the whole culture. I love the way that they've gone about it this season. But there was something a little bit Scottish about that. Uh, for me, yeah, I, I agree. Even Adam Vinatieri missing his field goals, uh, everything just was off. They really were just disappointing right across the board. Um, Adam Vinatieri, though, really needs to lose that beard. I like a beard, right? I, I'm a beard-wearing man. I get it. But you know what? He's not a young man. And that white beard just makes him look even older. And I think as soon as you miss one like that, people are only ever going to go, he's too old now. He needs to move on. Um, so the beard's got to go. Adam, the beard's got to go. But I think it's genius. Because if you're a kicker and you've got a beard and you miss, people will recognise you. So what do you do? You shave the beard off. <laughs> and you can be and a new nobody kicker. knows who you are. Who's this young mind. guy? <laughs> Perfect. Adam Vinatieri next year. <laughs> it, it's, it's clever thinking like that from kickers that impresses me. <laughs> right, brilliant. Okay, let's go to Twitter then. We've had a few people get in touch. John Muir's been in touch to say that CJ Anderson of the Rams has to get the Porridge Award after his display, surely. Uh, Lauren Callahan's been in touch to say the Porridge Award grudgingly goes to the entire Rams rush offense. Brilliant play design using the motion receiver as a decoy and basic runs to counter the cowboy defensive strengths. Ross got in touch to say that the Honkin Award is easy, the Chargers. Um, and I think that's hard to disagree with. Uh, Lauren Callahan then went on to say Scottish Award. He gives it to the Saints for not making an appearance on the field until the second quarter and making many concerned that the Eagles would advance, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, as a Cowboys fan, and seeing his team go out, I'm sure he was most stressed at that point. He was probably more stressed than you were. Um, Paul, you were obviously thinking, ah, we've been here before, we'll come back. Lauren would be thinking, I really don't want the Eagles to go through now. Yes, I mean, it's one of these that's where the interdivisional rivalries kick in. I mean, we've talked a little bit about, you know, you know, the Chiefs and the Patriots and they're going to be playing each other. You know, my natural inclination would be to go against the Patriots. But because I'm a Saints fan and Mahomes has been talked up incessantly all year and I know he's been brilliant, part of me is actually thinking, do I want the Patriots to win? So, so I, obviously, but I, the, the one thing I will say on that is I am currently on penicillin for a bad throat, <laughs> so it could just be affecting me in any way. Well, do you know what? I'm going to make a bold prediction now, and you can hold me to this one. But You're going to buy me a drink on Sunday? Well, nah, not that bold. Um, okay. the, we're all sick of the Patriots. If you're a Patriots fan, you love them. The rest of us are bored, right? We're sick of it. Um, go away. You know, we've had enough of you now. We know you're really good. Brady, we know you're the greatest of all time, Asterix. Um, but, you know, we know you're exceptional. Time is done. I have a feeling that the novelty of Mahomes being as brilliant as he is, he's going to go the same way as that. And I think about eight years from now, we will look at the Kansas City Chiefs under Pat Mahomes in the same way as we look at the Patriots uh, under Tom Brady. And I think that we'll be sick of Pat Mahomes leading another decimation of another team on offence. 
That's brilliant. I really like that. We'll see. We'll certainly see where that goes. So we'll have to come back in eight years. We're going to have to keep this pod going, Paul. Um, uh, just to you, prove you, you wrong. Pay me the same. That's not a problem. <laughs> um, but the last time, then onto the championship games. You know, this is the first time that we've had uh, the first and second seeds from both divisions play each other since I think it was the uh, fifteen sixteen when the Panthers and the Broncos made it all the way to Super Bowl fifty. Uh, ultimately, the number one seed Panthers destroyed the number two seed Cardinals, and the number one seed uh, Broncos just snuck past New England Patriots uh, at mile high. Yeah, I mean, there's arguments could be made. I think, I think in those games you would have probably fancied that to happen. Here, I mean, if you, you talk about Patriots with the greatest of all time going in to play against a rookie quarterback, certainly at Gillette Stadium. He doesn't lose to rookie quarterbacks, Tom Brady. It's different because it's a different environment. Now, the cold will not bother the Patriots as much as it bothered the Colts, and it is supposed to be Baltic in Kansas City this weekend. So that's not going to bother them. I think it comes down to good game planning and organisation. You would say, I think, that Kansas City have got the most explosive players, but will that counter the fact that Bill Belichick is there with Tom Brady, I think it's a fascinating contest and it's going to be a really good one to sit and watch. I think both games come under the same uh, parameter on this and ultimately we know all four of these teams have brilliant offences. All of them are capable of putting up 45, 50 points in a game and they've all proven it this season. What's going to be the difference this weekend in both games? is which defence can just be slightly better than the other defence. I think that's going to have more of an impact than ultimately which offence is going to be the best. Um, I think that, you know, when these sides have met each other, and this is a replay of two games that have happened during the season, um, they've been high-scoring affairs, all of them. So it's going to be those little interceptions, those turnovers, those fumbles, those forced you know, punts, that's going to be the difference maker in this one. I think we're going to see a bunch of points across both games. I think they'll be great. I really, I'm really looking forward to the weekend and our live event, obviously, at the Golf Tavern. Yeah, we're at the Golf Tavern in Edinburgh. We're going to put on a live event. We've got special guests. You can see all the details on our Twitter timeline. If you're in and around Edinburgh, do please come along. The first event we had the very start of the season was fantastic. And, you know, obviously, first up is Ram Saints. I'll be there in my Saints jersey. Could I make an argument for the Rams winning the game? Yes, because they are stacked with talent. Absolutely all over the place. And to be honest, Cameron, if this was Saints at Rams, I would go with the Rams. But it's Rams at Saints. Uh, Don't field advantage. I think we'll see the Saints over the line. So both sides, both home teams are Bookie's favourites. But both games, um, the, the difference in both is three points. And I think that's telling. You know, this it's going to be close. Uh, it really is. Uh, and in a, in a postseason that's already been so much about missed kicks, maybe it's even going to be one of those sorts of weekends as well. Um, really looking forward to it. Uh, as Paul mentioned there, you know we've got Gordon McGuinness, who we've had on the show before, uh, senior analyst for Pro Football Focus. He knows his stuff. It's going to be brilliant to hear from him. We've got Jamie Morrison, quarterback for the Edinburgh Wolves. He's going to be there so he can give us some of the detail as we're talking about these great quarterbacks. And Charles Patterson, uh, sports reporter for Sky Sports, you know, he's used to covering this game. He's been on the show as well. He's been brilliant. Um, so it's going to be fascinating to hear what these guys have got to say. Yeah, it's going to be a really good night to say. If you're in Edinburgh, come on down. If you're not, we will be reflecting and we, we might try and get a little bit of audio from the event to bring to you next week. So you think the Saints, what are you thinking for the AFC game? You know what, I, I'm going to go out on the limb simply because I think it's probably the only time we're going to get to see it. I want to see Brady and Breeze. In the, we'll call it the Encore Bowl. <laughs> because I think it could be, because I don't think they will get there again next year. I'd love to see Brady and Breeze simply because of the standings of the, the two players. Or, you know, you could be looking at Mahomes against Goff. Now, the one thing that we will counsel people against is that, you know, you do mention that, you know, Mahomes will get there again. Goff's surely going to get there again. Didn't happen for Dan Marino. Got there very early as the Dolphins quarterback. Yep. Everybody thought he'd be back in the Super Bowl, and it didn't happen. You can never tell. It's that, that Carpenter seize the day. You've got to go for it. So this might be, 
the only chance that Goff gets to go to the Super Bowl. You just don't know. Look at and Philip that's Rivers. That's what makes it fascinating. Look at someone like Philip Rivers, who's been a great quarterback and will be in a conversation for Hall of Fame, but he's never done it in the postseason. He just hasn't done it. Um, so you know. Do you think if Goff gets through um, into the Super Bowl, he'll just nip up the road from San Diego and tan his windows in? <laughs> While he's out, because he'll know where yeah. he is. <laughs> While he's at the Super Bowl, just go to Eggie's house, do something. Brilliant. Uh, well, I'm going to go the other way. I actually think we're going to have a repeat of that great Monday night game um, that we had out in LA. I think that the Rams might just sneak this. And I think that the Chiefs might just sneak it as well. I think both games will be decided by two points or less. I think it's going to be really close. Uh, and on that, it's almost a toss of the coin. Um, however, you know, anyone coming along on Sunday night will be hoping that um, I'm sure the Saints win just so that you're in fine fettle for the rest of the evening because nobody wants a <laughs> moody Paul Mitchell at any point of the night. I'm just such a happy-go-lucky, <laughs> take-it-easy-nothing-bothers-me kind of guy. So we'll, we'll be fine. <laughs> Um, so, any other news items then that taking your attention before we move on? Greg's back. Greg okay. Williams goes to New York with Adam Gase. How strange did Adam Gase look in that press conference? Yeah, so that was the one I was going to bring up with you. Just utterly bizarre. Utterly bizarre. There's times where the NFL comes close to Scottish football in some of the banter and patter that goes on. And Adam Gase's um, interview was just odd. I've never seen him do that at any of the Miami Dolphins games. And I don't know if I've maybe just not been looking. Maybe this is something he does regularly, but yeah, just bizarre. Yeah, he he was possibly a man that thought, hang on, have I just agreed to be the coach of the New York Jets? (laughs) Oh, you're kidding. I thought it was a... I thought it was a joke. You know, he just he came across in that really weird way, but in a serious way. If he is supposed to be as good as they say is his offense, he's got a quarterback, he's got some decent players. Greg Williams will come in. Now Greg Williams I think rehabilitated his image. You know, winning look at look at the games he won for Cleveland with talent. Um he will probably have learned a lot. And he can now go back, having been a head coach, with perhaps a tad more sensitivity into his role as a defensive coordinator. I think it's a really good hire. That That's the one that, that caught me this week, was the Jets are being bold um, in terms of the defensive coordinator. I'm not sure just lifting your rival's coach is the best thing to do, but that's the way they've gone. Indeed. Um, the one other news item for me is this continuing saga of Antonio Brown uh, being accused by Bruce Arians of being a bit of a diva. Uh, Antonio Brown's come out and had a bit of a pop at Emmanuel Sanders as well. So the two of these guys have now been trading Twitter comments, shall we say. Um, this is sort of the path that we saw Des Bryant go down, a little bit of the path that we saw Levy and Bell go down. I don't think this works for players, having a go at former teammates and current teams and things like that. I don't think you cover yourself in glory this way. I mean, there's loads of rumours about him wanting to come to San Francisco, and I would take him in a heartbeat. I put a tweet out earlier this week where I actually think, uh, if I'm the Giants, I'm contacting the 49ers for their number two so that they can go and get Murray as their quarterback. Um that they, they give up a second rounder as well as a first rounder this year and a few other things to the Niners. The Niners use that second rounder from this year, give it straight to Pittsburgh and say, we'll have Antonio Brown, please. Thanks very much for that. Uh, and I think that would work out really well for San Francisco. So, um, But still, back to the point, um, they've been having a bit of a go uh, with each other and I just don't think it's particularly classy. No, I don't, I don't like classy. I would always rather you found a way to be funny about it so the winner of that this week was for me uh, Fitzmagic now the NFL have been on tour in England and Fitzmagic was was over and he was asked by a Saints fan how hard is it to play in the Superdome so he replied saying well maybe if you're young and inexperienced but not when you put up 48 points on them that that wins it for me we can't talk that on the podcast that is an absolutely brilliant answer 
and as a Saints fan, I salute him for that. That's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing better than a great put down, and that was uh, absolutely brilliant. Superb. Right, well, that concludes everything then for episode 36. We hope you've enjoyed listening. And again, we'd love to hear your feedback, good and bad. After our last podcast, we had a couple of you getting in touch with some really good comments. We're going to take all that on board. Um, hopefully, we've fixed the sound issues this week as well. Uh, it's back to normal. But, you know, we're already looking ahead to next season and our plans for that. So do keep that input coming. Thanks, all of you. have been listening, sharing and chatting especially on Twitter, we're nearly at 3,000 followers. It's brilliant. Keep sharing our Twitter account. Keep sharing the podcast. Keep sharing everything with your NFL friends. Continue to let us know what you think. Keep those Scottish Slanted Awards coming. Obviously, there's not going to be as easy to do, but we still want to hear them. If you've got any new Scottish Slanted Awards that you'd like to give out as well before the end of the season, let us know. And please do get onto our Twitter or Facebook. Pick up your tickets and come and join us at the Golf Tavern this weekend. It's sure to be another brilliant event. Our thanks to Mark Donaldson for joining us from New England. We'll be back again next week to review all the weekend's action and start looking ahead to the Super Bowl. But until then, bye for now.